Good evening and welcome everyone to another episode of the Alex Amo podcast. And tonight we have Dr. Patrick Brenner, also known as the Fuel Physio, joining us. And he is the face of PT in the community. We're wearing the stylish shirts that were created for us this past CSM um, in San Diego, uh, February 2023. Uh, very colorful design. So Patrick, welcome to our show. Appreciate it, Mo and Alex. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Long, long time coming. <laughs> it has. So scheduling, sure. scheduling with a three-month-old is a little challenging sometimes, but uh, yeah, appreciate the first? patience. Is that your first? No, my, my second. Um, okay. Well, I've congratulations. Got, uh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so I got a three-year-old, uh, three going on 16, you know, so. Boy or girl. Uh, they're both girls. See, I got oh, both so girls. he's a girl dad. He's a girl dad. Oh, yeah. So he's your title. He's in it for father, the long haul. <laughs> husband, husband, father, physical therapist, nutritionist, dietitian. What else? What else am I missing? Um, I don't know. You you would throw in philanthropist or definitely, could, definitely tra world or, or traveler. Something, I don't know. Like oh, yeah. Travel. You do travel a lot, too. Yeah. Well, you were just so, at the beach. Yeah, we were uh, we were down in, in Orange Beach um, about a week ago, uh, which was which was nice. It was a good mm. little uh, good little break to get away. It was uh, it was us here. Uh, so my wife and the two and then um, a good buddy of mine who still lives in New Orleans, uh, his wife and his two kids. So it was the eight of us. Uh, in a condo for for five days so is that still in louisiana because you're in louisiana right no so i'm in i'm in birmingham now uh, okay. Alabama. so we've been here since january man time flies yeah so we moved here in january uh we were in south carolina before we we're in south carolina for probably about seven years uh but yeah orange beach is in alabama so it's um it's on the gulf and you're probably like an hour east of, of mobile so kind of okay. right before you start getting into florida like right before um perdido key and, and then you know panama destin all that stuff gotcha and where in south yeah. carolina were you uh, i was in greenville oh okay i'm very familiar with the area i did my my sports residency uh what used to be called pro access uh therapy which is now i think atletico they married uh, ATI. Oh, ATI. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ATI bought so, out everybody pretty much. Yeah. So I was in um so we had one. Hold on for a second. I don't know what just happened here. Come back. Okay. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, so we had a location in Greenville at Paintwood. Like okay. The, okay. And then yeah. I lived in I was at the Spartanburg Clinic and I lived in Boiling Springs. Oh, okay. So I was I was technically in Taylor's. Um, okay. So kind of like, you know, 15 minutes from from downtown Greenville. Uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I knew that area very well. It was a very nice area. Um definitely a very cool area uh to be with a family yeah. here. Um, oh, absolutely. And and we were sad to leave, too. My wife had always said, you know, if we could just pick up Greenville and move it closer, because uh, that was our reason for coming to Birmingham, was to just be a little bit closer to family. Um, so she's a she's originally from Mobile. 
So my in-laws now are only about three and a half hours, which is a lot better than seven or eight. Uh, well, when you got when you kids. have a three-year-old and a three-month-old, uh, that's clutch. I mean, I, I'm very oh, fortunate. Yeah. My in-laws live in town, so they're 15, 20 minutes from us. Um, and then my parents now go between Colombia, South America, uh, and my sister's house, which is six houses up from us. So we're uh, we're very blessed to have you know our immediate family close by because. It is absolutely true when they say it takes a village um, 100%. because of the amount of work and, and everything that it involves. So that's awesome, though. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it's so good. speaking of it takes a village, uh, let's start off with PT in the community because yeah. that's pretty much what it's about, right? A village. It is. And, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough that kind of the, the village is, is, is growing in, in members. Um, you know, those willing to kind of pitch in and help. And then also, uh, you know, those in leadership roles, giving me kind of a platform to do things um, from as well. So that's been, uh, that's been awesome. So I, I guess to kind of give, you know, a, a quick little recap, I mean, Mo, all this started with kind of that, that grassroots, uh, well, it was, you know, we claim it started at CSM in New Orleans where the idea kind of sparked uh, with, with Jerry and F. Scott just hitting up a chili cook-off. Uh, but then our, our actual, you know, first time doing something was CSM in D.C. And, you know, I still remember, you know, shipping a, a handful of things to, you, to your place and you meet handful? us in a parking lot. Handful? That's... <laughs> compared, to what we, compared to what we've done recently, um, you know, and... and, and you meeting us in a parking lot across from the convention center and us putting together bags. And, um, you know, that was still one of the funnest times because it was just, it was cold. It was, it was cold. It was cold and it was, you know, somewhat spur of the moment. And, um, you know, kind of one of those things that, uh, we haven't really done, you know, the past few iterations because it's always partnering with shelters and being on site. You know, we've not really actually gone back to walking the streets like we did that time in DC. Um, and I don't think I'm going to bring that back for February in Boston either, but uh, potentially Houston for the following, maybe get some type <laughs> of people, people out, out walking, uh, handing out care packages or something. But, you know, that's, that's one of the things that kicked it off. So I certainly appreciate, you know, your, your um, partake in it and, and support, you know, since the start. Uh, so it, you know, started, started from packing stuff in the back of your car in the parking lot to, you know, partnering with the um, Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, right, in terms of uh, the last few years, them giving us their bonus room to, to do those care packages in and the convention center uh, to them and their leadership really supporting this cause and, and forming us the 501c3 to, to actually start doing stuff and, and raising more funds to, um, to make a bigger impact. You know, so that's what uh, I think the fruits of that were evident in, in San Diego. You know, I think for me, as someone trying to lead it, there's still a lot of growing pains in that new relationship, which is is fine. Um, but, you know, we were able to raise um, and reallocate just over 26,000, um, which I think is a, a significant bump from you know, having just kind of started this only, you know, four or five years ago, 
you know, where I think that initial fundraising we did in that parking lot put together was like 350 bucks maybe. Um, so, so to get to that and then be able to look forward to um, what's coming in Boston is, is exciting, but it is, it's a lot of work and it takes a village. And that's why, you know, I mentioned AOPT and it's, it's their support and uh, their support by their staff and their support in trying to get the message out there that we can try and grow this thing uh, into something bigger. So let's take it back a bit. Um, as you said, it starts off as grassroots. A, a lot of people are afraid to start something off um, grassroots. They want the APTA or a, a, an academy or section to be readily involved. Um, but some people have to see how well or how passionate you're really about something. And you have to have basically, quote unquote, social proof. You have to show that people are really behind this thing and you guys are doing something. So how has it been uh, going from grassroots and collaborating, uh, getting the support of leaders in the different academies and sections? How has that been for you? Um, it's been a lot of work, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, the, the support has, has definitely been there. I think, though, in what's required to grind it out and make it happen over the past few years. I mean, it's, it's been primarily me and maybe a, a handful, you know, maybe even two or three other people. But in, in it, it's all about relationships and, and forming relationships. And that's where a lot of that academy support has come from, is forming those relationships. Um, and, and showing them that, you know, you are actionable and, and, you know, the words that you have and that you actually get stuff done. And that's kind of where, you know, things have um, evolved, I think. You know, the, the home health section or, you know, whatever everyone's calling themselves these days. I still call it the home health section. But, yeah, um, has always been a supporter from the start, right? And then you look at um, other academies or sections that have been in supporters and it really comes down to the relationships i've had with people that sit on their board or that serve you know a part of their executive team and just kind of getting an in through that you know is kind of where a lot of that stuff has started uh so what i'm running into now is is you know trying to tap into to more connections and, and network more into other organizations um, which i think is where the relationship with AOPT, I think, is going to be the most beneficial so that I can have them tap into those relationships and potentially take off some of that burden and that work for me because um, it's it's extensive. And I mean, it's it's usually around October that things kick up and I'll probably, you know, end up spending, you know, 10 hours, 10, 15 hours a week trying to make sure everything's kind of organized and put together. But it's all about relationships. And, you know, I tell, I tell clinicians this and I tell students this all the time, and especially not my own students, is that, uh, look, Twitter might seem like a weird spot. And granted, it's super weird now compared to when I first got on the platform. Um, but I would say professionally, right, within the PT profession, mm -hmm. I would attribute probably 85% of the relationships I have and the connections I've made originated on that platform. Um, Alex and I can definitely uh, say the same. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think obviously our relationship 
was uh, started on on Twitter, and then everything that we've been able to do uh, through our podcast and and everything there. I mean, a, a good majority of that has come through the relationships we've been on Twitter. Earlier, you 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 know, when we were going through all, all your different titles. Uh, one of the last ones you you mentioned was philanthropist, uh, which I think is appropriate. Where did that come from, though? I mean, because I don't, I think that's something that's inside of you, but not necessarily inside of everybody, right? Like, I feel it's got to be like a passion. Um, yeah. Because I think, I think on the surface, we all will say, like, yeah, we want to help people um, and we want to do all these things, whether in our community, outside of our community. But where does that come from? Is there something that you've experienced before that kind of led this, this passion for you? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question, Alex. I think, you know, in, in my quick response without sitting here awkwardly for 10 minutes in silence thinking about it would be, you know, me as an individual and as a professional, I, because of my background in training, I view things differently, right? So being both a, a registered dietitian and a physical therapist, I, I see things through a different lens. I see things in more through more of a holistic lens where, you know, commonly within the PT profession, typically, you know, we like to call ourselves the movement experts, which is a term I strongly dislike. But anyway, um, we like to silo ourselves as physical therapists. And, and, and I'm just saying for the majority, there's certainly people who are doing more, right? And, and, and Mo and you are certainly um, within that group. But Majority of PTs, it's it's the movement expert. It's wait till the person falls off the ladder. It's it's only dealing with pain or, or functional uh, deficits or you know etc. And then the the RD and the dietitian side of things is always just looking at how people are eating and how that contributes to their health. But with my view and training, it's it's more of that holistic approach. And so it's always been me trying to put together this movement and diet component and how it affects an individual. But what I've learned over the last five or six years in creating relationships within our profession and speaking with other PTs who do things differently and who do things differently within their community, it's become more evident that there's more of an environmental impact on that individual than a lot of people want to, to talk about in many cases, um, but have an understanding for, meaning that you know, it's, it's not just what a person eats or how they move or how they sleep. It's where they live and their environmental impact that they endure day to day, their, their community, right? The politics of it, all of that, that actually influences their own individual decision-making. So you start having kind of a bigger, you start looking at things from a 30,000 foot view. And that's where, you know, the, the components of, of community health and population health and stuff start to come in. So when you start looking at that, and, and when I've started diving into it myself, you start to realize that the unfortunate circumstances within our country, money is allocated to sick care for the most part, right? It's allocated to just fueling that healthcare system where, you know, 80% of outcomes um, comes from other financial endeavors. Right. You think of how much actually influences a person's health outcomes. Only 20 percent of those healthcare costs are having an impact on it. 80 percent is coming from the environmental individual impact. 
individual decision making. So you start looking at that bigger picture and you start realizing where people are putting money at. And yes, there's a lot of opportunity for physical therapists to get into more of a population health, community health space and doing more in their own community. Um, but it's a lot of work. And until you get it going, sometimes there's not really a lot of opportunity to get paid. You know, sometimes you just got to get into the community and get your hands dirty and start learning about those people and what they need before you can actually start giving back. So I think potentially that's kind of where that, you know, that passion and that drive came from is knowing that, hey, there's more of a, a larger impact um, outside of individual one-on-one -on -one care. So how can I, you know, have some sort of influence in that? So within my own community, of course, but then trying to find a way to impact other communities as well across the country. And then it just so happened, that's what kind of led into, you know, PT in the community and thinking of, of CSM and, hey, you've got thousands of people that come into a city, thousands of people who are, are knowledgeable and have this skill set that could honestly do so much more than the common physical therapist is doing. How can we leverage that knowledge and, knowledge and expertise during the conference to make a difference? But the caveat and the real hard part that I've not yet figured out, and I, I'm hoping I can get it nailed down within the next three or four years before Anaheim, is creating sustainability in what we do, meaning that our efforts don't come off as, as just like a one-off, that we've fostered relationships within that community that we've visited, we've you know started partnerships, we've given some fuel, um, you know, contributed some resources to get some things started, but that there's sustainability after we leave, right? That these projects and these, you know, visits or whether they're screens or, or what have you are still happening after the fact um, so that there can be continued change once we leave. That's the hard part is trying to figure out how to make that sustainability for for San Diego. We had a little bit of it occur. There's still some events that are occurring after the fact um, because of local connections there that are they're maintaining those partnerships that we made. Uh, but then the biggest thing is to try and, and track the impact. And that's why I say Anaheim, because if you look at the CSM schedule, we've got Anaheim in 26 and we go back to Anaheim in 29. So my thing is, if I can find a way to create sustainability and, and implement that in 26, find a way to measure it so that when we go back in 29, is what we're doing making a difference? Are the things that we are trying to initially facilitate and foster, are they still around? Are those relationships still existing? And essentially, does the community look any different because you've got a bunch of physical therapists doing stuff still? So that's kind of like my long-term vision for that. But I think it all goes back, Alex, to the root of having an understanding that it's more than just a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a patient or client and understanding that it's more than just how they move and how they fuel. It's all of it. And, and, and for me, I think this is the opportunity for me to try and play around with other communities because then it's like if I can come up with a, a system or a standardized process to impact communities like this, then we can pop this all over the country and people can go around and do it within their own community and create something sustainable. And it's, again, physical therapists getting in there and doing more 
than just the traditional, let me wait till you fall off the ladder. What you mentioned Anaheim and, and obviously it makes perfect sense with getting there in 26 and, and, and being able to to see what impact you potentially could have, you know, a couple of years down the road. What is your best case scenario? Like what would be the result for you that would say, you know what, this is this is it like this has been worth it. This is what I wanted or how I how I vision this. What, what does that look like? It's a tough one because that's that's one of the biggest things that I've hit now is trying to figure out like what's a meaningful measure, like what's a meaningful measure, like how how can we measure what we do? You know, the easy thing is to determine whether or not what we've done is still around. Um, you know, so if it's if it's quarterly fall screens at a facility, is it? you know, um, a consistent flow of volunteers uh, going and helping out facilities and providing resources? Uh, or is it like a true tracking of an individual and their, their health outcomes? Or, or, you know, how many people are utilizing X resource uh, that's available to them? That's, that's the part I don't know. And that's what I'm hoping, you know, relationships through AOPT can help me find someone that like, is the data-driven type of person that can tell me like what needs to be measured to determine an impact because uh, i just i honestly i just don't know but what i would like to see is that there's still something that is still existing or still a change or or um a feeling about their profession is still there and, and it's different than when we first went and, and i think it goes with that you know, without necessarily having to say that, you know, whatever impact that is small or big, it's meaningful. I mean, I, I feel like when you've walked into, you know, DC, San Antonio, like whether there's something there when you go back or, or review it, like the time that you were there, the people that you impacted at that point, like I, that's, that's, potentially life-changing for those individuals, right? Like, you know, yeah. so I, I think it it's still for you, although you've got these plans and these, these big things that you want to accomplish, which absolutely you always want to keep moving forward and strive for something bigger. Like, you know, what you're doing and, and what you've started, I think is a, a very powerful thing and, and something that we haven't seen in our profession. Honestly, I can't even say that I've necessarily seen it in this scope in other professions. And I could be wrong. I don't go out and research this stuff or look for it. But to say, hey, we're going our national or one of our national conferences is happening in this city. And we're going to do this as a way to give back to this city. I mean, that, that speaks volumes, man. So kudos, kudos to you for, for doing that and not just doing it once, but saying, you know what, let's keep this going and let's figure out where this goes, even though you don't really know where it's going or you don't know how to go about it, but you're like, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to fill up these bags and, and get this, this supplies and all this stuff to, to all these community members, because it, it just, it's that important. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that, Alex, you know, it's, um, it is important and, and it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it, it's well, certainly fun. As well, I might, but, I'll, uh, I'll offer a suggestion um, because usually 
CSM is held in a state. Each state has a physical therapy chapter. Um, there are a lot of people who said they got into the profession to help people. Even business owners say they got into business to help people. If that was your, your primary motive to help people and not make money, really, um, this is your opportunity to follow through on what was started when we had the CSM in, in your state. So there goes collaboration again. So collaborate with yeah. the local chapters to have them do volunteer opportunities instead of doing like PT day of service or PT in the community once a year, year. have something that the local chapters could participate in every quarter or something like that. So, yeah. And, and you know, that's so for, for the next CSM in Boston, right. I've been working closely with the Massachusetts state chapter and, and that relationship started when I was in San Diego, right. It was, it was, a, I bump into somebody and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm, uh, the word is that uh, MJ is the president of the Massachusetts State Chapter now. Does anybody have MJ's number? <laughs> so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm texting her and I'm touching base, you know, while I'm in San Diego, like, hey, look, once you get home, let's let's chat, let's meet up because you're the next city. And, you know, the Massachusetts Chapter has, has been amazing to work with. Uh, you know, my point person there, uh, Camille Powers, she's the, the chair of their DEI, um, DEI committee, and she's been awesome to work with. And, and she's been kind of like my local point person who then uh, in, in turn delegates things out to her committee and other you know, members of the chapter, which has been awesome because it's honestly taken a significant burden off of me is that, you know, in the past, I've, I've gone in and I've tried to create these you know, and create local relationships and, and do all that stuff on my own. Uh, but now having that, that relationship with the chapter where, where they're all in. And, um, you know, one of the things that we are doing for, for Boston is um, we're paying to put um, a few, not a few, I want to say probably. Um, Give me a second. I'm realizing my charger is not plugged in. There we go. And that's a green light. Um, so what we are doing uh, for for Boston is we are putting a, I want to say we decided on like six or eight uh, Massachusetts um, chapter members through um, Narcan training. So Boston's got a pretty significant substance abuse uh, issue. And that's what we've kind of found when we've done our community needs assessment and stuff. Uh, so what we're trying to do is find a way to provide resources and an aid to that community. Um, so Narcan now is, is one of the things you can kind of get over the counter now. So because the FDA, you know, changed that stuff actually earlier this year. Um, but physical therapists, you know, can can actually anyone can be trained on how to administer Narcan if necessary. Um, but physical therapists can actually be trained in how to train. So there's a national organization, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but that we're going to work with, and essentially we're going to train, um, I think, eight chapter, I think it's in, within the state of Massachusetts, they want two of them, two members in each of their four districts. 
um, are going to be trained in how to train, right? So we're going to put, um, you know, cover the, the expense and, and the licensing fee for those eight to go through that training so that they can then go out into their community and train people and how to administer Narcan. Um, so that's one of the things that we're doing and trying to empower and give their their state, you know, opportunities to volunteer. But again, part of that sustainability component is how can we facilitate something that then is going to carry through and continue to give back, you know, once we're gone. Uh, but yeah, the, the state chapter relationship has been super clutch uh, for this next go round. You know, California is a massive chapter and, and, and you know, even knowing who I need to talk to there, that was, it was still difficult. I was only dealing with the San Diego district, which was still a huge operation. Uh, but being able now to work with the state at large, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, you know, so hopefully for the Houston after in Texas, I can get something similar, but no. So going to something a little bit more lighter, you seem Definitely. pretty young. So if I am a, a DPT student in a class and I see you walk in saying, I'm Professor Berner, I'm looking at you like, what is my younger brother doing here teaching me? <laughs> so how has that been? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I transitioned to full-time teaching uh, in February oh, wow. this year. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Alex, I took a... Look uh, young? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know I, I i need to start eating whatever he's eating <laughs> oh man um yeah so i i, I transitioned in february um took a uh, assistant professor role at south college uh so we just opened up a atlanta campus uh we just actually finished up our first quarter uh, so we had our immersion lab in Atlanta with our students um, two weeks ago um, and wrapped that up. So I'm actually on quarter break right now, and then we'll start Q2 uh, on Monday. Uh, so it's a hybrid, if you're not from South College, but it's a hybrid model. So, um, yeah, what, what I love and, you know, everything just kind of came together. In, in, it's uh, funny how that happens, huh? Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, man, if it just works out this way, then it's 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 got to be meant to be. If if all the chips fall, um, where it's it's a perfect situation, you know. But I, I guess to give a little bit of a of a um, of a precursor to that, you know, I, I never thought I'd be in a in a teaching role. No, I always liked educating. You know, through undergrad and even through PT school, I'd always been kind of like a tutor. You know, I'd always tutored anatomy or physiology and stuff. And for me, teaching it was a way that actually helped me learn. You know, so during PT school, we'd always have the study groups and stuff at our place. And, and we had a big, giant uh, whiteboard that took up a whole wall. And, and, and I would just I would teach it because that's how I learned it best. Um, but I never thought I'd be in this position. But where it all started was probably about five years ago. Um, I started doing some nutrition lectures, you know, trying to educate physical therapists and how to incorporate nutrition, how to do it right, um, how to navigate practice boundaries, answer all the questions that PTs have. And, and that started with just doing some guest lectures for, for you know, DPT programs um, across the country. And, you know, it, it started with lectures, 
been it actually started with Baylor University, who's always a, also a hybrid program. And it was through their health promotion course that I taught the nutrition lecture and then got invited to, to join the adjunct team and, and go do an immersion lab. And I'm like, at this point, you know, it was right when the hybrid model stuff had started. And I'm like, I don't know that, that this is going to work. Like how do, how do, how does a physical therapist become a physical therapist and you're learning everything from afar? Uh, so that was always kind of like my hesitation at the beginning, but then I saw it in action. And, you know, traveled for these immersion labs and, you know, just kind of jumped right in. And again, it became like the networking and, and meeting people. It's like, oh, well, I've got interest in this course and let me pull here. So it went from, you know, health promotion to, to aging adult, which is where I, I primarily was spending a lot of time clinically and, and skilled nursing. Um, and then it went from one institution to another institution to another institution where I just kept adjuncting. And, you know, up to last year, I was actually considering myself like a travel adjunct uh, because I was I was up to, you know, last year I was, you know, actual associated or um, adjunct faculty um, for for nine different institutions across the country and, and also counting Hawaii. And had probably, I think last year, had done uh, 17 different courses, you know, across those nine institutions. And, and again, it was kind of like a travel adjuncting type of thing. Um, but while I was doing that, I was kind of working behind the scenes of, of trying to figure out how can I, you know, turn this into a full-time thing. You know, so my, my relationship with, with South and, and, and that leadership, you know, had started probably you know, two years prior and, and just and really working it to, to, you know, the opportunity uh, presented itself. And, you know, my, my wife had told me probably for the, you know, hundredth time, you should probably get a real job now um, that uh, <laughs> it, it all kind of fell into place. Right. It was, and, and you know, what many people don't know is when I started full-time at South in February, that was my first real time like my first full-time job because um, I, I, had, I had done travel therapy. I pieced things together, PRN, you know, I've done like full-time PRN, but never like a job that like gave you benefits and like had other perks. Um, <laughs> so that was always my wife's thing. It's like, look, you got to get a real job. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was, it was a little bit of that, that, that support. Um, you know, and then I was like, well, look, if this is coming, if, if I'm going to strive for it, I've got to go all in and I've got to get as much exposure and experience in, in teaching as possible. And, and that's what kind of that traveling adjunct was. Um, and, and it was a lot. I mean, last year I was, it's probably out of town, maybe close to 40, 40 times. Um, you know, it's tough and, with little ones. It, it is. It's real tough. Uh, but now I work from home, right? So I went from, from being gone for majority of the year to now my, you know, my new office is downstairs, which has its pros and cons. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here all day. I'm, I'm available if needed. Uh, but then I've also got to have kind of a quiet workspace. But, my, you know, my wife's super supportive and, and great to, to give me time when I need it. Um, and then now I only travel, you know, just a small hand field, you know, full of times going to Atlanta for immersion labs. 
Um, from Birmingham is not that far. So two and a half hours. That's it, man. Just, just drive two and a half hours. I'm I'm coming from the side that really nobody else is coming from. Uh, I, the only downside is um, I've got to go through Atlanta because we're on the east side of Atlanta. Um, so I got to time it right. But then when I come home, I think nobody coming this way, right? Nobody's driving <laughs> up the interstate to Birmingham. So once I bypass that Atlanta stuff, I don't have any issues getting home. Uh, but yeah, just, just a two and a half hour drive now. And that's know, awesome. majority of my time's here. But again, to, to answer your question, Mo, it all, it, it started, I don't know if that was actually your question. I don't think about it, but it all started with just doing guest lectures, right. And, and just getting into it a little bit. And, you know, again, all these pieces fell into where it ended up being kind of a, a perfect match. Um, be, because it's, you know, you've got the whole 50% terminal academic degree stuff, you know, that, that I'm on the 50% that I don't have a terminal academic degree. Um, so, you know, I, I, I fit into a team where that space is available. You know, my my expertise and contribution to the to the program is really, um, th you know, threading health promotion, community health, holistic care. Um, writing that stuff through the curriculum and what's amazing is you know our program director and, and our whole team that's what they're about right we are about um serving the underserved we're about serving diverse populations we're about serving underserved populations we're about you know getting students into our seats that you know um, had difficulty getting in elsewhere for for a number of different reasons but trying to give them that chance uh, uh, to passionate people who want to give back to their community. Um, you know, the other awesome thing that, that really fires me up is in, in my threading of stuff and, and what our program is about is, is giving back to the community. And for us, it's, it's focusing for Atlanta. Uh, but what we're going to start doing that's going to be very unique to all hybrid programs, really. And I only know of one other hybrid program that's doing something right now and that's College of St. Mary um, out of Omaha. That's that's also a hybrid. Is but during our immersion labs, we're blocking out like a full day of community outreach, right? Where we are, are are trying to build local relationships, leverage the fact that we've got all of these students in town, and let's do something, you know. Um, and what was awesome is that the course I just wrapped up was my health promotion course in Q1 trying to lay the foundation of, of what it means to, to practice holistically, to view things holistically, to have an understanding that there is a significant environmental impact into in people's health outcomes and the decisions that they make. And one of the assignments was a community needs assessment project where students are broken up into 10 zip codes, right, within Atlanta. And I tell you, when there are some stark, stark disparities man like you're here and you go half a block and you've got life expectancy dropping 15 years and you've got median income going from i think it was like 250k to 70k in terms of a household income like and i can like you can be in this neighborhood and you can see the greener grass like right there um and it was crazy but man, was it eye-opening to these students when they could start to see, because a part of that was 
during the immersion lab, they had to go out into the community. You know, they pulled all the data. They looked at the data. Now go into that community and tell me what it looks like. And they were like, man, this stuff matches up. They've got all the boutique fitness gyms over here. And there's this one community center with a bum basketball goal over here. Like, I'm not surprised that there's a, a difference in health outcomes. Um, but what I love about that project is it's what they've discovered is what we're going to be using for our community outreach days, right? So the resources that they've identified, the, the disparities that they've identified, the needs that they have identified, that's what that cohort is going to be working towards their entire two years with us is every immersion lab having an opportunity to give back. And what's awesome is that about 30% of our students live in Atlanta, right? So they're local. Perfect. So I'm going to put a plug in because career staffing is expanding into the Atlanta metro area. So since they're already involved in the community, to me, home health gives us the opportunity as clinicians to actually see how people live and, um, we before we started the podcast i was sharing with alex um my experience with a patient today that delayed me almost made me miss the start of this podcast but um we have to think about nutrition uh, about social factors um income uh transportation uh support system a host of other stuff that if you're working in a different setting you don't have to worry about. And they're looking at us for advice. So I know I don't have a nutrition background or a dietitian degree. So, but I do know that if you're a hypertensive, you have to reduce your sodium. If you look at some of the contents that people have in their uh, pantry and in their refrigerator, that's already exceeding what they should be consuming per day. But again, we don't have that knowledge base. So we're hoping that there is something that can encourage physical therapists to be able to give better advice to clients to reduce them having to go back to the hospital or making frequent visits to the doctors because they have an exacerbation of CHF or something because of the poor nutrition. So this is, yeah. this is great. But since you guys had a cohort already that just graduated, we're gonna have to talk after this. <laughs> yeah, let's let's touch base because yeah, I mean, if, if we can partner up and do some community stuff, I mean, it's it's a win-win for yeah um, for both. I love that you're uh, yeah, Atlanta's Atlanta's awesome. I mean, and that was one of the reasons that you know, because my program director, she essentially had the the pick of where she wanted this this new program to be established and you know she was intentional on picking atlanta um because of the diversity that's in that city from you know several different aspects but uh because there is also a significant need within that community you know and um yeah no that's that's awesome patrick when did how did the nutrition for you merge with the physical therapy um, yeah, because no, it's, it's, it's definitely a, I don't want to say unique, but it, it, unique it is unique. unique. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah I, I stand correct. It is unique <laughs> because you don't see many of us that have done it to the extent that you've done it. I mean, to Mo's point is like, 
yeah, we know basics. Yeah, like we may take like a weekend course or something along those lines, but never to the degree that you've done it. Although to me, it makes perfect sense aside from doing it in the setting which you're doing it, which interweaving the, you know, the community health and all that aspect. I look at it, you know, entrepreneur head of mine is always working. It's like, it's like a perfect cash based business model because you're integrating <laughs> two services that go together. And no matter what your, your objective is, if you're trying to train for a, a triathlon or, or, or something of that sort, or you're just trying to be healthier because you want to live to play with your grandkids or whatever, like it's across the spectrum. Right. So, so I'm yeah. very interested to see how you merged it or how that came together. He could yeah, come up with absolutely. a new, new program. <laughs> Man, well, if I had more time in the day, that would be. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, to, to most, it is it is a unique, um, you know, to my knowledge, there's, I think my count now is seven. There's, there's only seven of us in the country that are credentialed as, as both. Um, you know, my, my professional journey actually started within the field of dietetics. And I think what fueled that was originally growing up in New Orleans, you are essentially um, inundated with, with people that live with chronic disease, you know. And, you know, obviously it's poor infrastructure, lack of physical activity, and because it's, you know, there's, there's no infrastructure to, to be active um, and do it in a safe way for, for many that especially live in, in the city limits. Uh, but then there's the food too, which is really good, but probably not the best for you if you consistently eat it over and over again, right? So, you know, my, my initial professional goal was to try and find a way to reduce risk of chronic disease for individuals. And growing up in a city where food was everything, that's what I started with. Um, you know, how can I reduce that risk by addressing what a person eats? So I, I started out with, with dietetics, uh, but it was only after a year, my undergrad, I realized that it was more than what a person ate. There was a movement component to it, right? So I actually started doing an exercise science and dietetics degree, degree simultaneously. So I was running these, these parallel bachelor tracks together at the same time, um, which looking back at it now was just outrageous. But um, <laughs> running both of those and, and trying to determine where was the stronger pull going to be? Was it going to be more of the, the nutrition or more of the movement? Because professionally in, in the real world, things that were, they were isolated, right? So I, I, I rode both of them to the end and you know i got to the end of my dietetics degree first and it was at that time that i realized that there was a stronger pull for me towards more of a movement component um and at the time i knew i was going to go into pt school i, I knew that was going to be my next step but it wasn't going to be advantageous at, at, at that time to, to finish out the exercise science degree to get into PT school. Like I didn't need two bachelors to get in. I didn't feel like I did, but um, so I got out at, with, with a degree in dietetics. I just took the minor in kinesiology and a minor in business and, and went into PT school. 
So then my, my, my view totally shifted. And what was frustrating is it didn't take long for me to realize I left a profession that only looked at what people ate. And I put myself in another profession that only looked at how people move, movement, dysfunction, pain, functional disability. And man, was it frustrating. So I, I stuck with it, though. I, I left the dietetics profession and, and, and went through PT school, but it was always bugging me. I was like, how can I make an impact or make a change within this profession to get people to start thinking differently? Um, so after I got out, my wife and I had done some travel therapy for a little bit, but I had made the decision to go back into the dietetics field. So I stopped working as a PT for probably about maybe eight or nine months and went back and did my dietetic internship. So I did that through the university of Houston. Um, and it was a, it was a hybrid distance program, right? So I, I I guess thinking back, I know that's kind of my thing, where I set up my own preceptors. Um, at the time, we had landed in um, in Greenville. You know, I had finished out a travel contract in Greenville, and I was like, "Well, let's let's see if I can build out some preceptors." Um, so I did. You know, I, I got into the program. I, I built out my my nine months with an intention of having exposure to every single population that I could. You know, traditionally in a, in a traditional dietetics internship program, you know, it's always nine. Sorry, it's always twelve hundred hours, which will take you about a year. Um, but you'll typically only have like three rotations. All right. So you have three main preceptors that whole time. It's got to be food service as a chunk of it. Um, and then you kind of pick clinically where else you want to be. But I built it out with intention that I wanted exposure to everything. So I was in. I was in neonate. I was in peds. I was in uh, LTAC, uh, general geriatric, oncology. I spent time with Clemson with their sports. Like I, I went through the whole spectrum. Um, you know, food service in a school system. Like trying to get everything um, that I potentially could to be able to bring that back to the physical therapy profession because that was my intention was to to become credentialed um, to bring it back to the field of PT. Because that's where I, I parked it, right? You always talk about you put that PT license hat on, you can't take it off. I'm, I'm already there, can't take it off, I'm parked here. Um, but how can I bring in the nutrition and the dietetics into into our profession to, to have PTs be able to do more? Right. So that Alex, to the things that you're pointing out, so that those things are easy, you know, or, or um, at least the how to and how to do it. And, and where can you pull resources? Because that's one of the things is that, you know, if you want to integrate and it's for any physical therapist, if you want to integrate nutrition or sleep or stress or whatever into your practice, you don't have to know it all. The only thing you need to know is you need to know how to triage that health behavior, meaning when is this way over my head, right? And when do I need to refer or collaborate with that other provider? And then where do I go for resources? You know, if I've got this patient who's got questions on X, Y, and Z, I don't need to have the answer to everything. I need to know where to get the answer. 
Like who's got the resources on the sports population? Who's got the resources on the pediatric? Where am I going for post-op stuff? Like you just got to know where to go to pull that information and be able to share that with a patient in a, in a you know, patient-friendly and inclusive way. Um, but you don't have to know everything. You just have to know how to triage and where to find it. I agree. That's a nugget right there. So it, it seems like um, you built up the hustle of the adjunct professor. So again, you're building social capital to being a, a full-time professor. So it seems that that is your trend to just dive in, do it as best as you could, and then it just takes off. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. I, I've been seeing seeing your progress uh, since I've known you. Um, so I, I do hope you keep it up. Uh, I'm glad you found your niche and you're basically dominating in that space as well, too. Uh, your wife is also a physical therapist. So did you guys meet in school? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So uh, we went to PT school. Um, she was the class ahead of me. Oh, the woman. <laughs> all the she had all the tips and tricks and uh you know found your way in, buddy. You found your way in. Was always a good uh was always a good study partner. Um but yeah, we uh we met in uh, in PT school. She um clinically she's on the all other end of the spectrum though. You know, like I said earlier, I primarily geriatric older older adult. Uh, she's peds early intervention, you know, like like dealing with people's infants three months out, and I'm like, man. So, can... so your kids are the guinea pigs, then? Oh, dude, like <laughs> I don't know if you did it when you when when your kids were young, um, but my my wife does it all the time, and, and again, it's because she's got different eyes. Like when you think of like developmental milestones, like I can't remember all that stuff, like from yeah. PT school, like I've got no idea, but like. My wife knows that stuff, right? Like, knows it. Oh yeah. So I remember when my first um, was was um, growing up. It was like hitting everything. You know, it's like, oh well, she should be doing this at this point, or this, or this is coming next. Or I never forget. You know, my uh, my oldest had a, a dominance going up the stairs. She'd always lead with her right leg. So there you are, you know, working with an 18-month, two-year-old, and my wife's, like, cueing her and tapping her to use her left leg to go up and down the stairs. But now my daughter's trained in that if we catch her, we go, alternate your legs, she'll <laughs> alternate for the steps, right? Um, or what is the um, – oh, I can't remember the cue, though, because my, my wife never lets, uh, let, never lets her W sit. Um, so it's always, like, uncross your legs or, you know, crisscross applesauce so that she'll fix them. Uh, but she's trained now to all that motor stuff that if you cue it out, um, she knows. It, it's but nuts, that was, man. I mean, you, you combine the the mama bear instinct with the PT knowledge, and man, let me tell you, it's uh, oh, dude, it's, it's <laughs> everything is everything is with intention. I remember like the whole the, the first year of my daughter's law, like everything's with intention. Like you're gonna hold her, you gotta hold her this way. Oh, yeah. right? Because she's got a dominant head turn over there, and we need her to look this way. So you got to switch arms. You got to you got to flip her this way. You can't just hold her. You can't just hold her. It's got to be intention. All right. If you're gonna look at her, you got to go to the top right corner so she's moving her head up and down. You get like, 
Oh, man. And we're getting to that stage now with, with my three-month-old is that uh, as she's starting to get more, you know, head control and moving around and stuff like that, it's like, look, you can talk to her all day, but you're going to have to go on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patrick, as we get close to, to wrapping up, you know, we always try to tie in sports uh, where, wherever we can because part of Mo and I's thing is obviously we, we like to sports banter and stuff like that. So when we were trying yeah. to schedule you, you had mentioned that you had just had a fantasy draft. And if you got on with us the night we were trying to get you on, your wife was going to kill you. So um, yeah. how did that fantasy draft go? And have you lost your top pick yet? Man, I'll tell you what. So I, 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 I limited myself to just two leagues this year. Um Last week was good. You know, I one league I dominated. And that same team this week, I don't know. I, they just they didn't show up. They didn't they, show up. <laughs> they didn't show up. You know, you go from getting 25 points to now you got me four. And, and that happened to like the whole team. So I haven't um I haven't lost anybody significant, right? I didn't have Nick Chubb on my team, like yeah, um, which was outrageous um that was crazy i I, I didn't i didn't see the video i saw a still picture of it um Mm. yeah that's 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 yeah that's that was that was wild and then you know i didn't i didn't have aaron Rodgers, um which i I think every pt i don't know about you but i'm like i'm watching that video and i'm like that is not that dude's ankle that's not what just happened um (laughs) So I remember I've got, you know, my fantasy chat, and I was like, yeah, he, he broke his ankle. I'm like, no, he didn't break his ankle, man. Yeah. And then you go back, and it's like the gaff, the, the, the gastroc injury he was dealing with was in that same leg, and I'm like, dude, he, he, he popped it. Yeah. And then the next day you see, like, the zoom-in video where you can actually see it pop, and I'm like, okay. Um, but now what is he? He's um, – So he had the, surgery with – He had surgery. Doctor. He had surgery – Aaron Rodgers had surgery with the doctor that did Kobe's. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, Aaron's like, you know, watch what I'm going to do. So he's saying um. something about, <laughs> you know, potentially coming on a much quicker timeline. Uh, I think that's just Aaron talking like Aaron typically does. Um, I think so. I think that dude's making a cool 75 mil and he's going to sit on the sidelines. And uh, <laughs> I do think he'll come, I do think he'll come back and play next year just because of the, the type so. of person that he is. I, can I, don't see think, that. I don't think he goes out like that. He He's the type of person that no. he goes out on his own terms. Um, so I can see him coming back to play. Uh, the one that I'm kind of hesitant on is Nick Chubb um, because that's the second – Major it's the injury. second one of the same knee. Same knee. Yeah. And it's a lot of work, man. And it's not just physical. It's the mental. It's the grinding in and out when you're not really seeing the results and, and, and everything like that. And he's a, you know, I have saw on Mo and I like to watch the Pivot podcast, which is kind of what we use as an inspiration for ours. And he was on there um, in training camp. And, and you sit there and listen to him. And he's a real simple guy. Uh, Georgia native, you know, he went to the University of Georgia. So I wouldn't be surprised if he says, you know what, man, I, I've, I've done what I've done and, and I'm just going to kind of 
find my my next adventure so to speak but hopefully yeah things go hopefully well for him comes, yeah yeah hopefully things go well for him but um but anyways man really really want to thank you for for taking the time to be with us um most definitely know, really do appreciate your time you know obviously busy with everything and two little ones at home so really do the thank you for that and, and more importantly man just salute to you for for the what you've got going on with pt in the community um it, it's a much needed program it's a much needed uh for the profession i think it puts us in front of you know eyes and, and bodies that we may not be getting in front of if it wasn't for this initiative and it just opens doors to, to other opportunities which is what you're trying to accomplish uh in in the big scope of things so uh if there's ever anything that mo and i can do to help you with that please let us know because we will definitely do everything that we can uh to help you with that yeah you can put a link in the um comment section if people can go to like donate um for the upcoming uh, CSM. They might have to change that name soon because we're no longer sections. But yeah, um, so people could go uh, donate uh, since we are raising funds for for uh, PT in the community as well too. But yes, uh, Patrick, it definitely has been a pleasure to have you on. Alex, he's a great host. Wherever we go, whenever we are in New Orleans, um, uh, the last time I was there, <laughs> Try to keep us up fast. My best. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Oh, but it, it, it was it was definitely worth it though. It was definitely worth it. <laughs> but yeah. I haven't okay. had an alligator yet. Okay. I had it um, once. It all tastes like chicken. Uh, well, you know, I, I mean it, I beg it different. It does like it's it's got a different texture to it. It does have that. It does have it's got that. different texture to it. But anyways, man, really do appreciate you. Um, and as as always to all our followers, please continue to watch, share, relike, um, and all that good stuff, man. Patrick, thank you very much, buddy. Oh, you're welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you, Mo. You're quite welcome. All right, you guys follow us, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Talk to you guys soon.